Welcome to Heart Talk. I'm your host, writer, educator, and creator, Tracy Michelle. to share with you a personal story. He was a bouncer at the club. I was a bouncy, I suppose. (laughs) Tall, dark, and handsome, like the books told me I should want, and bald, (laughs) like the R&B videos said I needed. These were my house music days, my 20s. I was in the city that never slept until it was forced to like on 9-11, like now. This spot was in Chinatown and was different from the ones in Harlem or Brooklyn or Hell's Kitchen. Yet it didn't matter because we came to dance. We danced until the sun cracked the measly horizon of the Hudson, danced until our feet swelled in our shoes, danced until our clothes clung to us like we'd just run through the sprinklers at Granny's house. His eyes watched me as I moved closer in line. Or, more likely, I followed his eyes until my stare forced him to look up. I mean, everything about dude was like the small G-gods you see carved from stone in the old museums. Chiseled. (laughs) Yet, I suspect there was a part that was just as fragile. I would soon learn that there was. But resistance for me only existed on the page or in a protest. I did not resist. I did not resist the chemistry, despite the inevitable explosion I discerned on day one. I just knew that he was a bouncer, and I was just soft enough at the time to be bounced. Now, if I'm honest, I hesitated to share this piece of my life with you. I had all the thoughts. I'm married and a full two decades away from that time in my life. And what if the dude I'm talking about figures out I'm talking about him because the world is mad small nowadays? What if people think of me as flighty or with some torrid past and that prevents me from being president of the United States? Mm, On second thought, well, apparently that would not necessarily be a problem, (laughs) There were so many questions as I was thinking about what I would say for this episode, and yet I shared it anyway. I think that's the power of telling our personal stories. Sure, we give it air and hope that maybe someone will say, yeah, I know how that feels, or yeah, I remember when that happened to me. We hope that our stories are portals for other people to explore their own lives and maybe embrace their own paths. But I also think that sharing our personal stories does something amazing for us. It helps us to tap into our own courage. We free ourselves from the gaze, whichever gaze plagues us. We give ourselves permission to be fully and undoubtedly human. 
That to me is beyond a blessing. Whether we share them on the page or verbally, there is something almost surreal about the power of telling our personal stories. Think about the way we engage with our favorite characters on television. We have whole debates on whether we'd cancel Molly or Issa. That's insecure for folks who don't watch. We cry and we shake our fist at the sky when Jack dies on This Is Us, even though we know it's coming. It's also incredibly fascinating the way personal stories can cause people to engage, to collectively galvanize around a topic. Movements are built this way. One person says, this happened and it is wrong and a whole swell of people co-sign that and they move things toward change. For this episode, I got a chance to talk to author, journalist, professor, and public intellectual Lori Tharps about the power of telling our personal stories. We explored how our stories can be a vessel for healing for ourselves and for other people. Lori is an associate professor of journalism at Temple University, an award-winning author, freelance journalist, and popular speaker. A graduate of Smith College and Columbia University's Graduate School of Journalism, Tharps is the co-author of the book Hair Story, Untangling the Roots of Black Hair in America, and the memoir Kinky Gaspacho, Life, Love, and Spain. She is the host of the podcast My American Melting Pot, a show that features conversations and commentary that meet at the intersection of race and real life. Let's dive into this discussion. Hey, Lori. Hi, Tracy. <laughs> I'm so, so glad to finally get you on to Heart Talk with Tracy Michelle. Thank you so much for coming and talking with us today. I so appreciate you. You know, I love you, girl. Well, you know, it's a mutual love fest, and I am so <laughs> honored to be on Heart Talk. Really, yes. I'm so excited. So you know how we do. We have the, the, the same question we give all of our guests, um, how, especially nowadays in, in today's situation and circumstance. How is your heart today? You know what? My heart is actually pretty happy today. And I'll tell you why. Because um, if you had asked me this last week, I would have said my heart is heavy because it really was. I was really just kind of feeling overwhelmed with the current circumstances, with the um, Corona, COVID-19, you know, the self-isolation. But for some reason this week, I had a really good conversation with a good trusted girlfriend, someone I've known for a really long time. And, you know, it wasn't terribly important about what we talked about, but it was just that kind of unburdening of my soul, which was, I didn't realize it, but I needed to do that. And we shared a lot of, you know, affirming words and you know, just, it just felt good to hear someone else that, you know, could listen to me, but also could just um, empathize with where I was coming from. And so that unburdening was important. Mm -hmm. And then I've done a lot of walking, which I think everybody's doing, you know, trying to get your daily walk in. And I realized sometime earlier this week that there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of hidden blessings in this forced isolation that 
my whole life has slowed down. And if you know me, which you do in my mm -hmm. regular life, I'm usually that really overburdened person who's always running like a chicken with their head cut off, trying to catch up and keep up. And even though there's still so much going on and, you know, in some ways I can feel like a little bit overwhelmed right now too, the pace of my life is so much slower. Like I realized yesterday that even though I had a long to-do list, I took a walk at 3.30. You know, I was like, you know what, I'm going to take a walk. And that's just not something that I ever really can do. Mm -hmm. And I don't have to get up you know, with an alarm clock blaring at a time that I wouldn't normally get up. Right. right. Um, so, um, so, so there's that blessing and that's got some, what I'm kind of focused on right now. So my heart actually feels rather light right now because I am, I am let's glorifying in this extra slow pace that mm -hmm. I, I can't even remember a time, even a vacation where this sense of like time slowing down, which mm -hmm. again, it can feel, you know, uncomfortable in some ways to say like, is it Thursday or Friday? Right. I've lost track. Exactly. But the, the, the blessing in that is, you know, it's just everything has slowed down and you can do nothing but go with that flow. No, I feel that. I feel that so much. Um, I'm calling it my mandatory Sabbath. Yeah. Like, <laughs> you know, because I find like the other day, just like you, like the other day in the middle of the day, I took a bath. Who knew? You can right. take baths in the middle of the day, <laughs> you know? And I took a nice bath with the candles and the whole nine. And so I do agree that, you know, the COVID blessing, I think, or uh, the clarity that we're getting is that sometimes, I mean, that it's okay to, mm -hmm. to have that change of pace. Um, I love that you talked about the unburdening that you did with your, um, with your friend, because I, I find that, you know, just to kind of move us into the conversation about memoir and writing is that that telling of our stories, that, that letting it, giving it air is something that um, is healing right? Like it's something that can alleviate the weights of our life, if you, if you will. And so I'd love for you to just kind of talk, because you've written, like my introduction to Lori Tharps was Kinky Gaspacho, right? Like that was, you know, this memoir of this young woman and her coming of age. <laughs> I don't want to, you know, but I like it, is it, I mean, and so you've written a lot from like personal narrative or, and you've written a lot in terms of memoir and creative nonfiction. And so I'd love for you to talk about what that's meant to you to give your story air. And specifically, like if you had to think of one or two character traits that someone who's thinking about writing their personal story would have to have, like, and then how, you know, how you've kind of taken on those traits or how it's shown up for you. I'd love to like, you can talk a little bit about that. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess I'll start with your second question about what kind of personal, what kind of personality traits or what kind of person, you know, is, is ready to tell their story. And I think that's what it is. It's about being ready to tell your story. And I mean, in addition to writing my own memoir and writing a lot of uh, memoir, like memoir essays, um, I've also taught a lot of memoir classes and have worked with people to help them tell their stories. So I've thought about this a lot. And one of the things that I know is that you have to be ready to tell mm -hmm. your story. Like some people come to memoir like, oh my God, I got a story to tell mm -hmm. because maybe they, you know, they accomplished something amazing. Maybe they triumphed over tragedy. Maybe they, you know, have some really unique experience that they want to talk about. Well, there's a difference between, you know, sharing the facts of your achievements and 
really bearing your soul, which is what has to happen when you tell, when you do memoir, because what you need for memoir to, to work is to have the reader, you know, go along, like to ride along with you through your emotional journey. And that's actually really hard and it's very humbling and it can be painful. And the worst thing is, is that, you know, you can be criticized or you can be shamed. You can be, you know, your, your soul bearing can be um, trounced upon. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I, I think that you have to be, and again, it can be any type of person, but you really have to be ready. And if you're not ready, don't write a memoir, write a novel, you know? Mm -hmm. And, and I tell people that a lot because they come to this, this genre thinking I've, you know, I've got a story to tell, but they're not prepared to be 100% honest and authentic uh, truthful and and share their deepest darkest feelings and and again that's that's why memoir is so powerful because we are inside your mind inside your soul inside your body inside your spirit um, and and that's why you know the, the the memoirs that I have loved are the ones where people um, you know like you finish reading them and you're like I am this person's best friend mm -hmm. or I know this person so intimately because they have shared their their whole self with me, right? Mm. It's not just facts, it's emotion. Um, and that's where you see the kind of growth that you usually see somehow through the, the arc of the story. So um, yeah, so that's what I think of, you know, it's, it's not a personality trait as much as the, the readiness. And that readiness comes from work, right? You know, you actually have to kind of sit down and figure out, okay, I have this story, but you know, what, what do I have to show of myself to make this story really hit, to make it make, make an impact on people's lives. Um, and that's the kind of pre-work you do. Mm -hmm. Um, and if you can get through that and not mm -hmm. need like 70 years of therapy you know, <laughs> like, and, you know, sit down and start writing it out. I forgot the first part of your question. Well, let me just, let's just, I'll, I'll come back to that, but I really want to, um, something comes up for me when you were talking about that whole soul bearing and being willing to bear your soul. Um, I imagine that that can be triggering also. Like, you know, you have to be ready and prepared for the stuff that you haven't dealt with to come up in the writing, right? Like, cause you may do the work and you may say, you know what, I've gone through this experience. I want to share this experience. I'm ready to share this experience. I'm ready to be authentic and transparent and all of this good stuff. And then you get in it and the other stuff that you didn't realize starts to come. I don't know if that, did that happen to you? Have you experienced that? And if so, or observe someone experiencing that, you know, and the, the inclination, I think, is to say, I'm going to put this away. I'm not going to write this because I can't deal. But how does someone push through that? Like, you know, what does the readiness look like all the way through the process? Right. Well, you know, that's, it did happen to me. It happened to me at the end of writing Kinky Gaspacho. And I think that's the beauty of writing. Writing is a form of therapy because, you know, you can basically being ready means whatever comes up, it, you know, I'm going to... Um, I'm going to let it come up and come out, get on the page. Now, we all know being on the page doesn't mean anybody has to read it, right? right. Um, I just interviewed Tembi Locke, who just wrote the beautiful kind of grief-focused memoir um, from scratch about losing her husband to cancer and then rebuilding her life. And she said this really interesting thing that 
she just wrote it all. She just started from the beginning and went to the end, poured it all out, let her child go somewhere else because she knew that this was going to be triggering and traumatizing all over again to relive her husband's death. And when she was finished, she was like, okay. And there were some things she just took out. She was like, some of this stuff is not necessary to share with the world, but I needed to get it all out, right? So this this writing process is going to be triggering. It is going to bring things out that you didn't know. I mean, that's what it is. That's what's happening. Um, that's what why therapists often tell people to go write a story, like go write a letter to yourself, or right. you know, because there's some real um, um, there's some real power in in documenting our journeys, right? Um, so. The thing is, you commit to telling the whole truth and nothing but the truth, but then you can edit it. It's your right. book. Exactly. So just because some real painful, ugly stuff comes out on the page, you still get to decide what goes to the publisher, what goes to the public. So right. I would say, let it all out, write it all down. And then again, if there's things, or maybe things come out where you're like, my cousin or my best friend or my mother will hate me or will not want this to go public. Again, it's written, you can, since it's down, you can then ask that person, like, are you okay with me sharing this aspect of this story? Um, and they can say no, they can say yes, but you've just, you have to commit to getting the whole story down, but understanding that it doesn't mean that the whole world has to see what you've written. You still can hold some of your story private for yourself. And what I love about that, thank you for saying that, because what I love about that is that even if you edit certain things out, so you're writing, you're writing, and some stuff comes up and it's ugly or it's traumatic or it's whatever, and it ends up on the page and you go back and you take it out. What I believe is that the energy of that still remains, right? So the person who's reading it still can feel if it's heaviness or if it's joy or whatever it is, right? Like can feel that feeling, even if it's not explicitly stated in, cause there's, there's, you know, as writers, there's these things that we do where we pull back just a little bit to give the reader space and room to feel what they feel, to connect to us. And then we give them a little bit, then we pull back a little bit. Like it's, that's a technique that's used. And so even if you're not like up on all the techniques, just by doing your dump, dumping it all out, but then going back in and taking the stuff that you want to hold for yourself, I feel like all the words around it, all the sentences around it will still be infused with that, that authenticity, right? And you don't lose the vibe, so to speak, like the kids would say. Right. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and also just from like a structural standpoint, um, let's say you, you know, just there's, there's a whole section about, you know, let's say I'm writing my memoir about you know, being a parent and I had an abortion. I, I did not have an abortion, but I'm not that there's anything wrong with that, but I'm just using this as a, an it. example. Let's say I'm writing a parenting memoir. And as I write my story, um, you know, the abortion I had when I was a teenager that I never told anyone about comes up. Um, and I realized that after I've written it down, like I'm still like, not only would it be painful for me to talk about, like it might be painful for my Catholic mother or something like that. And I don't want to give her that level of pain at this point in her life, blah, blah, blah. Taking it out, like you maybe can take the whole thing out and just, just act like it never happened. But there's also ways that you can allude to it, 
Mm-hmm. Um, you know, not put all the details in. You can, you know, I think of it as like you just pulled a, a tumor out of the body. Then you, if you have a really good surgeon, you know, he can stitch you up and nobody knows but you might get the kind of surgeon who messed up my daughter's forehead when she had to get stitches. <laughs> they put like a staple in so you can still see the little bit of a scar. So she always has a little oh, memory of yeah. what happened. So it's okay to have a, maybe a little bit of memory, just a little bit of something that alludes to, to something. And, and, you know, as writers, there's a lot of ways to kind of, like you said, sh- to, to give a sense that there was some pain that happened without necessarily going into all those details. It's not, we're not suggesting that, your memoir has a whole bunch of holes in it because you just pulled out all the painful stuff. That's, that's not going to work. There are ways that you, you know, once you realize, I mean, the the point is, what did you learn from that experience? Mm -hmm. What was the, what step came next or before and, and focus on, okay, it was after the abortion that I decided to become a nun. What's important about that? Right. What's the emotion? What's the, what's the emotional truth about the incident? How can I find a way to share that without necessarily um, speaking directly about, you know, the abortion, for example? So, yeah. so that's that's good. I mean, that does take some skill as a writer, but it's absolutely um, in your right to remove certain things. But I think you have to tell the whole story. You have to tell the whole story first to see how you can stitch it all together so it still feels coherent. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I'm thinking, as you were talking, I was thinking about um, KSA Layman's Heavy. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I really loved about it, and it is a heavy, heavy yeah. memoir. Yeah. But yeah. what I love about it is that, you know, you know, and he's just a brilliant writer anyway, but like there were, there were ways in which he would create images for you and leave it up to you to fill in a lot of ways like I, i'm thinking about in particular he's, it's he's at the casino and and his mom is at the casino and they're at the casino at the same time but they're pre- almost like you know they're pretending like they're that they don't see each other and because of all of the really kind of detailed stuff he'd given us before about their dynamic that scene if you will that really actually happened right didn't need a lot of like oh and my heart was like filled with pain and sorrow <laughs> it didn't need all of that we just needed to see these two people who loved each other in this space, right? And mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. I love uh, I love memoirs who can do that, uh, memoirs that do that very well. Yeah. Um, so at Heart Talk, as you know, we believe, and this is a little bit of a segue, um, in the power of art and story to heal us personally and collective. I just think that, especially now, like we see it now in the midst of this COVID-19 crisis, we see how artists are really the people that are really holding us together in a lot of ways. Like, I don't know how many times I didn't listen to D nice, you know, <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And just dance my, my worries away in the middle of the floor. I don't know how many, you know, workshops I've taken or, you know, like so many um, artists are just stepping up and bringing their gifts. And so I think there's a power in it. And I'm wondering um, what part of your own healing journey had it, has your writing helped you unpack? Like what is, what is something that, you know, and you can talk specifically or generally, but what has your writing helped you to unpack for yourself? Yeah. So 
that actually is a, it's an easy one for me to answer because for me, writing has helped me on my journey of, of who I am as a black woman in the world. Um, I grew up in uh, Wisconsin, which I like to refer to as Caucasia. Um, my experience there was like that and that I was surrounded by whiteness, um, literally the snow, the people, <laughs> like it was just a very white existence. And I really didn't know how to be a black girl in the world. I just, it just wasn't something that I ever really had teachers for. That sounds crazy. Cause I mean, it wasn't like I was raised by wolves or anything like that, but it just eluded me how to, where I fit in and how I fit in. And my writing journey of course started as a reader and there were wonderful memoirs that I would just, because I didn't have black girlfriends, right? So I found black girlfriends in books. And these were mostly nonfiction, which I think speaks to the paucity of options in the publishing industry, you know, back in the 70s and 80s, you know, finding good books with black girl protagonists, you like fiction books. I mean, I read Anne of Green Gables and Little House on the Mm -hmm. Prairie and all the other books that all the little white girls read. I mean, that everybody reads because Mm -hmm. what other options were they? Um, I was just a little bit too old for the American girl books, but they were like the one black girl was a slave, Addie. I mean- Yay, Addie, but like (laughs) she was a slave. So um, nothing against our ancestors, but please, you know what I mean? Like I want it. Why, why not a detective? Right. Um, Right. So, so my, my way of finding self was through books. Black Ice by Lorreen Carey was like one of my, to this day, I think of it as my salvation because I was like, oh my gosh, somebody else knows what it's like to go to private school with all these white people. And just, it just, it just made me think I'm not alone. And so really, I, I, can't, I can't speak enough about how that made, that impacted me. And, and to this day, when I'm really struggling, I try to find a book to help me. And I don't try to find self-help books. I don't read self-help books regularly. I find memoirs of other people who are going through or have been through the struggle that I'm currently in. That's literally what I do when I'm struggling. Um, so, so writing has always felt like I'm writing in service to others and it sounds 100% cliche, but I think if my book can help one person and I, and I really mean that, I I mean, I'm not saying it to sound, you know, like I'm some martyr or something, but I use books to help me. So I hope that my books will help somebody else. And I don't write, again, I don't write self-help. I think that by sharing my story, my stories, plural, um, that there is another black woman married to a Spanish man. There is another black girl who grew up in Caucasia. There is another um, black woman raising children with different skin tones than her, our own, than her own and trying to figure out how to parent them in a way that feels, you know, authentic and, and, and good so that they will be proud of themselves. Um, and, and I'm a hundred percent honest that almost every single, what am I saying? Almost every single book that I've written, <laughs> fiction, nonfiction really begins with my own self, you know, with my own issues, my own struggles, my own questions in this world. And every single one of my books has some aspect of identity mm. embedded into the storyline. And, you know, even my identity as a mother, my novel is called Substitute Me, and it's about a woman uh, who's going back to work after the birth of her first child, and she hires a nanny. 
the woman is white, the nanny is black. Most people assume because they're not very clever to think like, oh, you must have based the nanny on yourself because you're black and she's black. And actually, no, the white woman who was, you know, struggling with how to balance motherhood and career was more, I mean, nobody's really based on me, but I started that book because I was struggling with how do you, how do you hand over your the parenting of your child to a stranger to raise so that you can go and be, you know, a career person. Mm -hmm. That was my struggle when I became a mother. Um, and I took to my pen and paper to kind of document that. And I was also struggling with this rate, the racial dynamic of that also, like, isn't it, is it something white women do who can just pick a random black woman from the park and say, Hey, would you like to take care of my child? Because that's what was happening all around me when I was living in New York city. And so all of these questions that were really all about identity, I wrote them down. Like I, I crafted stories around them um, and, and tried to answer my own questions through creating, you know, fictional characters. So um, absolutely for me, my writing has been to help me through since, you know, since I could read all the way, you know, until I started writing, um, how to figure out like who I am and I who that. I want to be. And who you want to be. So who you've become, where you come from and who you're becoming. Yes. I, I love that. I love that so much. Um, and as a result, we get things like substitute me, we get things like kinky gazpacho, we get things like same family, different colors, right? We, as a result of all that you've read and all the questions that you've had answered by other memoirs, by other storytellers, you are able to then tell your story. And so, you know, if you guys don't know out there, um, Lori has written so much about diversity and about inclusion, not just in her, like, book length work, but also just articles for the New York Times, et cetera. Um, and it's because now that I know this, <laughs> it's because of this kind of personal quest to understand who you are and your identity. Um, I'm curious about the intersection between your interest in all things multicultural and your work as a journalist, right? And like, I'm inter interested in like, was there a particular moment where you decided to pivot? Like even um, Lori Tharps is the host of My American Melting Pot, uh, which is a wonderful podcast that you need to go out and check out right now. At, no, after this episode, <laughs> then go over to My American Melting Pot because she has just an, an enormous, um, just archive of content of just amazing content around issues around diversity and multiculturalism. And so um, I'm just curious as what, at what point did you have this pivot where the questions that you were answering for yourself became sort of your mission or your drive, you know, in your work period, like whatever in whatever form it comes. Actually, that is a great question. And I can tell you exactly where and when and how it happened. Really simple, blogging. So mm. my professional writing career began as uh, in, the mag in magazine journalism. And I worked in um, mostly, I started out in entertainment journalism. I worked at uh, Vibe magazine. I worked in Entertainment Weekly magazine. And I constantly felt like as a black woman who was kind of raised with some sort of expectation that I would, you know, 
fight for the people, that I would use my privilege and education to do, you know, to make our world a better place. You know, as I was documenting Oscar fashion and, you know, <laughs> what I call like silly pop culture stories, I felt really conflicted because I was not covering kind of stories that impacted people of color in any way, um, that were not talking about race, that were not talking about social justice. So that's why I actually wrote my first book, uh, Hair Story, because I felt that was more along the lines of the type of journalism and writing that I was supposed to be doing. And then I started my, my blog, My American Melting Pot, because I wanted an outlet for the types of stories about race identity. And, and it wasn't, they weren't, like, the, the things I was writing on the blog, and this was way back in like the early 2000s, they weren't um, like news articles. I wasn't writing like hardcore social justice like uh, pieces, but I was taking the things that I was interested in, you know, noticing, you know, discrepancies in coverage, for example, at the magazine that I was working at Entertainment Weekly, where, you know, uh, a Latino uh, musician wouldn't get any coverage despite the fact that he had more album sales than, you know, maybe some of the pop culture personalities that were getting coverage or um, just, you know, things like that. And I would just write about them on my blog. And my blog got really popular. And when I say popular, it's, you know, it's very different today and all the metrics we have. People weren't looking at the metrics and stuff. I just knew that people were reading it and leaving me lots of um, comments. But I realized that there was an audience for this information, that this weren't just musings in my own mind that like, isn't this interesting? You know, it, it, it made me realize that people cared. People wanted this information. And just like me, when you went to mainstream media to find, you know, what was happening in the communities of color, whether that was positive news or, or distressing news, it wasn't there. It just wasn't there. Um, and, and that's something I've known since I was a child, because, you know, like I said, I couldn't even find books that, that, um, featured people who looked like me, right? Or who had a life that looked like mine. So, um, so that's kind of, you know, it started with me blogging where I didn't have to wait for gatekeepers of the kind of news industry to tell me it was okay to write about this or it was okay to write about that. On my own, I was writing about my own interests and was getting good responses, was getting people saying, write some more. What do you think about this? Um, I was getting asked to comment on other issues um, that revolved around diversity. And I mean, I wasn't getting like book and movie deals, you know, it wasn't like that kind of level of fame or anything like that, but it was enough for me to recognize that there was a need for these stories. And, you know, I've been lucky enough through the course of my career to have other sources of income. So it wasn't like I had to live off of my blog. So I knew that I could continue to create this content and share this information. And it would be, even if it, you know, again, it wasn't like I was making money from it at all, but it, it brought me great joy to be this source of information that you couldn't get anywhere else. Hmm. And so you, so you have that moment. And so then, so how do we get from that point to my American melting pot? To the, the podcast or to yes, the, to the podcast. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. So, I started My American Melting Pot, the blog. My original blog started in um, like 2006. And over the years, it, um, at, at that point, I was a freelance writing and editing. 
and um, was working on a novel and, you know, was going through a lot of things. And then in 2009, I got my job that I'm uh, at Temple University, where I work today as an assistant professor of journalism. And so I continuously like would like stop and start blogging. And every time I would tell myself, I'm not going to do this anymore there would be some kind of sign that I should continue on, right? Some story would not go viral, but I would get a lot of attention for it or people would talk to me about it. And, and there were months where I just wouldn't do anything. And, but I couldn't, I could not commit to killing it. I (laughs) would not let it go dark. Mm -hmm. And I have to thank my husband for that because he would always tell me it's really good. Not that he was reading it all the time, but he was like, it's really good. It's, it's, it's important. Don't, don't kill it. And so in 2000, 18, I decided that I was going to relaunch the melting pot, um, but really, really try to make it as professional as possible. Um, Really commit to writing regularly. And I also said, I'm going to launch a podcast because, you know, 12, 13 years later, um, as a journalist, I wanted to challenge myself to take my, my storytelling skills to a different platform. And I figured that um, the stories that I could tell might reach a different audience if I took it to the airwaves, you know, if I made a podcast out of it. And um, that's basically what I did in 2000, the end of 2018, I launched the My American Melting Pot podcast. And, and I've also stopped calling myself, I shouldn't say I've stopped calling myself a journalist, but I really call myself now like a storyteller because Mm -hmm. I'm, you know, people want to say, well, what do you write? I was like, I will write, I, I even write bad poetry, right? Um, I write fiction, nonfiction. I write short stories and essays mm-hmm. and news articles and opinion pieces, but it doesn't have to be on the written, on the, on the page. I can share these stories orally. And yes, I'm about to get a YouTube channel too, you know, because I want to be telling, I want to be able to tell my stories visually Mm -hmm. as well. So I'm a storyteller. I love that. And thank you You, for saying that. Because you know, you and I are on the same page. I was going to say, you know who my inspiration (laughs) is, right, Tracy? Who? You. Girl, bye. (laughs) Tracy Michelle. Hard talk. Yes. No, well, you, you know what? are my inspiration. Well, you, you are a multi-passionate artistic human being who does not fear like taking her passions to so many different palettes. I love I love your your just willingness to say, I'm gonna I'm gonna make a movie. I'm gonna paint this picture. <laughs> you know? <laughs> Don't make me cry on my podcast, okay? <laughs> no, but I, but I will say this, though. I don't know if Heart Talk podcast actually would have existed at least as early or when it did had it not been for you. Because, you know, we, yes, yes. <laughs> because when, when you were talking about, like, I remember, because we were at Blogger, right? And, like, you talk talking about, oh, like, so and for everyone who's listening, you have to understand being in Lori Tharp's space and how she goes about, like, she is the, 
I don't know if you call yourself an extrovert, but like she is the quintessential, like if you want to meet somebody, you just need to connect your arm to <laughs> Lori Star. And she will make sure you will meet everybody. Oh, you want to meet them? Oh, okay, let's go. You know, and like, and I am the exact opposite. Like I, I can be extroverted on a stage or in like a one-on-one situation, but I'm extremely introverted in like the public you know, realm and networking is so difficult for me, but we were at this space and like, we were learning about podcasting and doing all this stuff. And Lori, which is like zip, 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 zip around the room, just like, you know, meeting people. But you were like, I'm going to, I'm going to start this podcast. And I had been pondering podcasting. I've been thinking about it and what would that look like or whatever, but like, you just did it. You just did it, you know? And you were like, okay, I'm gonna put this out there. And, um, you next thing I know you're in the studio and you know next thing you know we have episodes and so it was like oh it doesn't have to be that deep because I think I was a little bit like I've done a lot yes I've done a lot and I've done a lot of different types of things but I think I was a little scared of the podcasting platform I think the technology you know what would that look like you know what it was it sound like what would I what who's listening to me what would they care about what I have to say um, and so I love, I, I just wrote down something that you said, um, because I think somebody out there needs to hear it. Um, and that is that you said, um, it's important, don't kill it. So when everyone was telling you that somehow, you know, blog, you know, cause they say blogging is done, right? Like, because we have all these other ways of communicating content that eh, nobody's really, you know, doing the blog thing anymore. And yes, you have sort of diversified your storytelling, but you kept at it. You felt like that you had something very important to say and that people were still listening and paying attention. And I think there's somebody out there who's listening right now who may say, you know, should I keep doing this thing? Because maybe you, you know, are not getting the likes or the shares or whatever that you think you should be getting in order to reach some arbitrary standard that should, that will tell you, oh, that's good, or oh, that's not so good. And so I think some people just need to keep going. Yes. Right? And yes. you you kept going and, you know, you're in what season, like the third run or the, see, a four, my bad, four, season four of um, My American Melting Pot. And like, mm-hmm. you have all of these wonderful people coming and talk about all different aspects. Like she had an episode on, um, you know, race and technology, like in the actual systems of technology. And, and like, who knew? I didn't, right? <laughs> so like there, there are things that we maybe are thinking about that, that people might be thinking about writing about. And so when we're talking about memoir and personal storytelling, it doesn't always have to be the book, although that's where we started. We love it. Please yeah. keep writing books. But also there are a myriad of other opportunities now. Yeah, uh, I did. I, I, that's, I mean, I'm really glad you said that because two things, one, you know, I do keep blogging because my, my first love is the written word. And I think it is important. If, if you love writing, like don't jump on podcasting because you're supposed to, I love talking almost as love much as I love writing. So, (laughs) so there is some real pleasure in it, but I have to tell you, it's a lot more work than I thought. So, I mean, it's not for the faint of heart, but I did keep blogging because I, I really can't stop. Even when I think like, oh my God, like my inclination when I learn something and when I want to share something is not to pick up a mic. It's to get in front of my keyboard and just go, 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 Thanks. go, go. 
And that's why I just can't give it up because it is like my baby. I couldn't kill my own baby or to cut off my like one hand. I just couldn't do it. Um, But the other thing is like you were saying and what we were talking about before about being a storyteller is that this past summer I created an audio memoir. You know, I did this story about, um, you know, my memoir is called Kinky Gazpacho. My book was called Kinky Gazpacho and it was the 10 year anniversary of the book. And I was going back to Spain, which is what the memoir um, really talks about. And I thought, okay, I, I said I wanted to try new platforms, new methods of storytelling. What if, and, and to be honest, I knew I wanted to talk about being black in Spain again. Um, and then, you know, memoir is my jam. Like memoir mm-hmm. is my thing. And so I was like, what if I, you know, because I'm not a radio journalist. So learning a whole new like technique and all that, it felt overwhelming but I know how to tell my personal story, right? Mm-hmm. I know how to do memoir. Now, again, in a different platform, there were things to learn, but I knew that, again, I know how that story is supposed to go, right? So it is true that memoir or storytelling, it really can be just like transferred transferred to other platforms. And I think that as artists, in the 21st century, we shouldn't fear new technologies. Um, and at the same time, we shouldn't feel like we have to adopt them all either oh, right. by any stretch of the imagination, but we should be open to the possibility that, you know, if you're a dancer, maybe there's a way to use podcasting, I don't know, to share your experience. Maybe if you're an, a, you know, a visual artist, there's a way to use blogging in some way. Like, there's just all these things that I think, you know, you may respond with fear, but if you kind of keep your mind open to taking your passion and just trying to figure out how your passion, your art can be utilized or how you can utilize these new platforms, it can actually be kind of exciting. It is. It's very exciting. I think I've always had the attitude and this is, I actually worked into my, to my detriment at times. It's like, um, I can learn it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I had a little, like I said, trepidation with podcasting just because I think I had, I kept seeing like the radio DJ or something like that. Like that was what was in my mind. When I thought about podcasting, but um, I always have had like, oh, well, and, and now with YouTube, that's, I mean, I'm the worst. Like, I think I can build a house if you give me enough wood. Like, you know, <laughs> like, it's just like, oh, I just go on YouTube and they'll tell me how to build a house, mm-hmm. you know? Um, which might come in handy in light of our current <laughs> administration, but I'll right. <laughs> but um, like I just, I always feel like I can do everything, and so some of what I'm learning is exactly what you just said: is that I don't have to do everything, right? Like I don't have to do every new thing that comes out, right? I, I'm really, um, and I, I, I want people to know that you want to think about what aligns with your passion, your gifts, your talents, your abilities. Like you said, you love talking just as much as you love writing, right? And so those two things can live side by side. So of course, podcasting makes sense. Of course, audio memoirs make sense. Of course, writing makes sense. Um, There may be something else out there that doesn't make sense, right? Right. But we, you know, we we navigate that. Um, For me, uh, I am always curious about people's spiritual journeys. And so I'm going to pivot a little bit here. And I just want to uh, talk a little bit about, you know, what 
what at a spiritual level informs your work. And so um, can you share with us a little bit about that, like your spiritual journey and how that kind of keeps you in the space of being a storyteller? Because it, it you could literally just be this phenomenal professor and call it a day. Mm-hmm. But you know, what keeps you on this road? And for some, I know for me, it's my spiritual convictions that do that. Mm-hmm. You know, there's two, two ways to answer that. One, as I said before, um, you know, I've, writing for me has been a, like a quest for identity. And um, I think my, like my spiritual identity has been as nebulous as my racial identity because I was raised in the church, the Black Baptist Church. I say the church, like, you know what I mean. But like, I was raised in the, my mom, my dad was a Baptist, my mom was Methodist, like, we went to my dad's church. I was not baptized. I'm a middle child. My mm-hmm. sister was baptized. My brother was baptized. They forgot mm-hmm. about me. <laughs> they didn't overlooked me. <laughs> they, just, oh, they did. They were like, oops. Did we forget you? And you haven't been baptized? <laughs> Really? We forgot. Ooh, we're so sorry. Oh. <laughs> you going to hell. <laughs> Our bad. Um, they tried to make me get baptized at like 11 or 12. And, you know, I was rebellious at that point. I was like, I don't know. But um, I never really enjoyed the, the church services, the church that we went to for different reasons. I never felt at home there, right? Mm-hmm. I was always, I asked too many questions. Was right? it a black church? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yes. A very black church, okay. like um, meaning there were no other people but black people at my church. Okay, and um, you know it was a traditional black Baptist church. You know, vacation Bible school in the summer and Sunday school, mm-hmm. and you know all the the whole thing, the big pool for the baptismals. Mm-hmm. You know, it was it was a it was a you know in retrospect, I don't know what I was complaining about, but I just didn't feel comfortable there. I mean, I didn't feel comfortable. I know why I didn't feel comfortable because the other kids in my Sunday school classes would laugh at me because of the way my mom dressed me and they would make fun of me because I talked like a white girl. And because I asked a lot of questions, like mm-hmm. I would actually read the Sunday school lessons right. and be like, Oh, 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 oh. Yeah. I have a question. We have that in common. Thanks. Yeah. That's another thing we have in common. <laughs> so when I um, left college and went to move to New York, I went on a spiritual quest to find a religion that a spiritual home, a religion, really, that made sense to me. Um, and, and just as a detour that when I was in um, high school, I lived in Morocco was an, as an exchange student. And my host family tried to convert me to Muslim, to Islam regularly, but like <laughs> sneakily, like they would be like, we're going to go visit friends. And that friend would be like a woman who would spend like the entire hour, like telling us how lovely it was to be a Muslim woman. And yeah. it's like, okay. <laughs> Wow. Right. Um, but it was very, like, it was a really, like, I loved my family and it gave me a, an, an insight into Islam that, you know, your average American is never going to have. You're not going to pick this up, you know, reading about it in a book. Right. So, like, I felt like I had been very deeply influenced by uh, the Islamic faith. And so by the time I got out, and, and my roommates in college, I mean, my roommates post-college were both Jewish and had joined the synagogue right when they got to New York. So I was like, what about me? Where am I going? And I turned to books. I would go to the library every single weekend and would read, like, try to find my religion through books. 
right? Mm-hmm. I would read about this religion and that religion. And, you know, I went through all of them, you know, and I dabbled in a lot of different things. Yeah. Um, but I think my, my um, sense of who I am and what God wants for me became solidified when I became a mother because mm-hmm. I needed to be able to, well, first of all, I think the miracle of giving birth, of being pregnant is, is like, I, I personally found that to be like God's creation. Like that was my Your connection. God's wonder. Right. Yeah. Um, so anyway, all that to say, like, and, and through, through my entire quest, my sense of like connection to spirit and to God is that I was put on this earth for a reason. And I, that reason is not to just take up space and that I've been given certain gifts and it is my job to use them to make the world a better place. Mm. And I feel that like on a professional level, like, like as a, as like a human, just like as a human, but I feel like there's so many times that I feel like this is just God's intervention. Like how, like I, like, I feel like I've been given gifts. Right. Um, and, and, and not, not lucky breaks or things like that, but that there are reasons and that I need to, to utilize my gifts again, to, to make the world a better place, um, to bring light to people's world. And I think that that's, that's, that is my God given purpose. And it has been proven to me, you know, because like, again, like I want to quit, I want to give up, I want to be a waitress. Like there's just sometimes when I just want to turn my back on that, what I know to be my real path. And I just get pushed back to the path. And now I don't try anymore. Like I know what my path is. And, um, and still, you know, there's, there's that, that fine line between what is my spiritual path and what is my professional path. And, you know, I try very hard to make them connect. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Um, but it's not really hard, you know, because I do feel like I'm divinely inspired in a lot of ways. Um, I mean, if I were like passionate about race car driving, I don't know if I would have that same conviction. Like (laughs) this is divinely inspired that I should drive fast. Um, but you know, I, I do believe that everybody has a gift. Um, I do believe God put you on this earth for a reason and it is our job to make sure we find what that reason is and live it out to our fullest. Well, I can definitely tell you this, you're doing it. You're absolutely doing it. You talk about light. You are most certainly a light. Um, and I'm so grateful for you and your work and I'm excited to see what all is coming um as you know i don't believe for one moment that 2020 is a wrap even though it feels like it sometimes (laughs) um but i think it's just what comes out of 2020 will look different than any of us ever expected yeah and and that is 100 okay so i have one final question and i think i'm actually going to make this my final question for the entire season um just because it came up in my previous taping and I, I just feel like that it is, it's a qu- good question to end on, I guess. Um, <laughs> so um, my final question is this. Who are you, Lori Tharps? Okay. Who, is, who am I? Mm-hmm. Um, it's funny because, like I, I said this before, and I wasn't kidding. I write a lot of bad poetry. Um, <laughs> and I just found one of my notebooks from last year. And I think I actually wrote a poem, like, who am I? <laughs> um, but 
I'm a black woman. I am a mother. And I'm a writer. Mm. That's who I am. And it's who I've always been. Even before I gave birth, I was a mother. Mm. And I say this, I, you know, if people have ever heard me speak, but like, I tell this story often that, you know, ever since I was little, I, I wanted two things. I wanted to be a mother and I wanted to be a writer. Mm. And when I was little, I had 27 children. <laughs> they were all my stuffed <laughs> animals and baby dolls. And I knew I had 27 <laughs> of them. And I had a nanny. I had an imaginary nanny, which I find funny. I didn't have a husband. Had a nanny. <laughs> <laughs> we don't need one of those. We just need a nanny. <laughs> For 27 kids, you need a nanny. <laughs> yes, I did. And they were very well-behaved children, all of them. Um, only like a couple baby dolls. Most of them were stuffed animals. But um, it was very clear to me that like being a mother was, you know, what I wanted to be. And I wanted to be a writer. Um, and the, the black woman part is something that um, I can't escape because this is the body I was born into. But it is the very core of my identity. And I wouldn't want it any other way. And I, I think, you know, I, I'd like to write about that some more because like all of my work, all of my written work kind of has that at its core. At its center. Yeah. Yeah. Um, explaining it, exploring it, putting it into, into contrast with other, um, I feel blessed to have been born as a black woman. Like, honestly, I feel like I'm, perfectly cooked. <laughs> perfectly and, cooked. Yes. You know? T-shirt, like, t-shirt it, idea. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I, I really feel like I have a, I feel like I have an ancestral past, you know, mm-hmm. as, as, as a black woman. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, it's, it's such a profound body to be in. It's such a profound history that we have, particularly as a black American woman. Right. right. And um, I, I think, I mean, I'm perfectly suited to be a mother and a storyteller. Yes, I love that. Well, thank you for so much. Thank you so much. Thank you for, for having me. Uh, being here and blessing Heart Talk with Tracy Michelle. Um, again, guys, if you have not visited My American Melting Pot, the blog or the, or the podcast, you need your ASAP when this ends unless you're going to listen to another episode of Heart Talk with <laughs> Tracy Michelle. But <laughs> if not, then run over there and read all of the wonderful content and all of uh, that uh, Lori is doing because it's amazing. Thank you, Lori. Thank you, Tracy Michelle. All righty. Bye-bye. Bye. Heart Talk is written and produced by my mommy, Tracy Michelle Lewis Jiggins, for Heart Space and New Season Books and Media. Go to hearttalkpodcast.com to learn more. See you next time.